Welcome to The Lead, the Hartford's executive podcast series, where some of our company's most innovative and engaging leaders share their thoughts about leadership, career development, our company, and industry. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Lead. I'm your host, Paula Angelo, and I head internal and CEO communications at the Hartford. In this episode, we're picking back up on our conversation with Beth Costello, the Hartford's chief financial officer. So continuing with a focus on strategy, which we talked about emphasizes customer experience as well as talent and making the most of our capabilities in the marketplace. You know, we have a very clear charter there. And at the same time, the Hartford has committed to a set of behaviors be courageous, break through, and better the experience that are intended to serve as the foundation for the way we deliver. And I, I just love your thoughts on how you would describe the relationship between our strategy and our behaviors. So I see our behaviors as being the key ingredient for us to achieve our strategy. And I, what I love about our behaviors is there is an action orientation to them. You know, be courageous, break through, better the experience. All of those things mean you're not standing still, right? All of those things mean that you're constantly challenging status quo, you're fixing issues, you as a employee are contributing and being part of all of that. So I think it fits in well and it definitely, as I said, I think will fuel our success and it really gives everybody permission to do things differently and to make the place better and to make the experience better and as we said you know solve it own it live it all of those things really i think resonate with a company and a mindset of continuous improvement never being satisfied always wanting to do better and i think there's a lot of excitement and energy around that i want to turn now to the experience that we've had as a company over the past two plus years as we've weathered the global pandemic together and really would love to talk about the role that you played as a member of the Hartford's executive leadership team in helping to shape the company's response to COVID-19. You've got corporate real estate in your portfolio. They obviously had a lot of skin in the game when it came time to thinking about our workplace environment, but also as the head of your organization, the finance team, you did some really creative things to keep your team motivated and connected during the pandemic, even taking a pie in the face during the 2020 annual giving campaign. So I'd love your point of view on how living and working through the pandemic influenced your approach as a leader, and maybe if you could spike out sort of one thing in particular that's different for you now versus, say, March 1st, 2020. Yeah, so it is really sometimes, I think, a bit overwhelming to go back and think about the last, you know, two plus years and everything that we, you know, as, as individuals, as a company, as a country, and a world have been through. Because I think if you go back to March of 2020, None of us would have ever predicted that 
the long-standing effects of all of this would have gone on for as long as they have. And when I think back to those early days of just being at home and just trying to figure out your next normal, I think for me, one of the things that I felt very early on that I, as a leader and just as a person, needed to be more intentional and deliberate about was actually making those personal connections. It's very easy, I think, to make personal connections when you're seeing people day to day and, you know, easy just to say, hey, you know, Paula, how you doing? And how was your weekend? And then all of a sudden you're at home, isolated. If you remember early on, we weren't even using video. So all I could do was just talk to people. You're not even seeing their faces. And I found, you know, early on just needing to connect with my team. I think we were meeting every day, you know, every day, 730 in the morning, you know, call on, okay, how's everyone doing? And at that point, it was a check-in on health more than anything else. And then obviously it was about activities and so forth. But the importance of people feeling connected, I think, really came through. And we all, you know, as leaders and individuals just had to be more intentional on that. And that was probably one of the biggest things that I learned through that that process and not something that I thought day one, but very quickly realized. The other thing is, you, you know, says to how it changed things is I think it really has shown the power of flexibility. I mean, we're obviously as we transition to, you know, future of work and, and we have new rhythms and, and new processes, I think the ability to leverage flexibility, to offer flexibility really is, I think, one of the benefits, I think, coming out of this process. I mean, I was talking to someone recently about the fact that pre-pandemic, I always did conference calls. If someone gave me a conference call number to do today and it wasn't like the video where you could see someone, I'd be like, "What the, what's this? I don't even know what to do. But I would have <laughs> never thought that way before. But why, why not use the technology? So as some people like to say it forced some of us dinosaurs to start using the technology maybe everyone else was already using. Um, but I think that's been a great benefit because again, back to the, the comment on personal connections, I think just seeing people and being able to you know, respond to nonverbal cues and things like that, I think is really important. And um, I, I definitely, feel that that piece of it has um, definitely been an opportunity for all of us. Yeah, definitely was an accelerant for technology adoption in a number of different contexts. I'm wondering, um, as we think about what your team has been through over the past couple of years, were there any process changes that were brought about um, as the result of um, some of the ways you had to modify your work rhythms and practices during the pandemic? Well, one thing I'll, I'll give the finance team a lot of credit for is they're always looking for opportunities to automate and standardize, right? That makes our job so much easier. The more that you can have things be, be done the same way and not a sort of lot of one-offs. And I think working in this type of environment has only accelerated some of that. And, and as the team, you know, continues to, to find ways to use automation to whether it's report generation, 
um, and, and things like that, that simplify what people have to do. And I think allows us to be better partners to our, the various you know, groups that we support across the organization. Let's take a short break. When we return, more from Beth Costello. Hey, Hartford employees, make sure to visit iConnect, where you'll find all the latest news on our business wins, well-being tips, benefit updates, upcoming company events, and so much more. But if you can't see it daily, be sure to read iConnect Week in Review every Friday morning. That's where you can get caught up on what you missed. We now return to The Lead, the Hartford's executive podcast series. Welcome back. We're talking with Beth Costello, the Hartford CFO. So switching gears... I want to talk a little bit about your involvement in the community and in philanthropic activities, as well as within the Hartford, some of the activities that support our company's DEI journey. And so maybe that's a a great place to start. You are the executive sponsor for the Hartford's Flexibility Network, ERG, or FAN. Why? fan why did you choose to take on that role and what about this erg is so important to you yeah so i was asked to be the executive sponsor for fan right at the beginning when it was formed and at the time i was leading talcott i was working out in simsbury so it's quite a while ago and at the time our group benefits business was out there as, as well And a lot of the initial momentum around FAN did come from some of the group benefits experiences and really wanting to make sure as a company that we were doing all that we could to make sure that we were providing the right opportunities for people, you know, regardless of their um, their abilities. And it really resonated with me when Um, I was approached. And so again, I've been involved from the beginning and have just been so impressed, you know, over the years, because we're probably, probably was like 2013-ish. So coming on, you know, nine, 10 years and how that ERG has grown um, really have have touched in, in a lot of different ways. There's a lot of different aspects of of fan and and things that we try and provide um, resources for and there's a real need i think that's really what it comes down to with all of these resource groups right is that there is a need there is a connection point and what's so impressive and it's oppressive across all of the ergs as is that employees get so passionate about their groups and things that they can do to enhance the experience of other employees. And I think, you know, across the board, our ERGs have been such a success and it just really comes from the energy from all the groups and and people putting themselves out there. I mean, as we know, a lot of the efforts that go on are people doing this in addition to their, you know, quote unquote day jobs and the passion that they bring, I just think is a real inspiration for so many of us. And then, of course, outside the Hartford, you're very active in the local community. You've been on several boards, including the Village for Families and Children, the Bushnell Performing Arts Center, one of the most beautiful venues in Hartford, and then the Hartford Bishops Foundation as well, where you've served as uh, regional chair. 
what has being part of these organizations meant to you and what experiences really stand out as being part of these um, organizations? So I have always had a strong belief that we have to give back and investing time and resources into our local communities is so important. And I think a lot of that was instilled in me very early on in my career when I was at Arthur Anderson, because there was always an expectation that we would do that um, as as individuals and have you know opportunities to get connected within um, the community. And you know, there's a different story around each organization that I'm involved with as to how I got there. Starts with each one has just resonated with me relative to what their mission and purpose is. So, you know, the Village for Families and Children, it's an organization I've been involved with for um, a long time now. And I'm just so inspired every time I hear a story of a family or a child that the organization has helped because there is such a need in this community. And at the village, we have the opportunity through our annual meeting. We also do a girl within luncheon where clients of the village actually share their stories. And I'm always so inspired by how people will share some things that have happened to them and trauma that they have dealt with that's so personal and their willingness to share with a group of strangers on what happened to them and how the village helped them. And I probably always leave in tears um, because it is just, it is amazing what some people go through. So my contribution to the village has just, for me, has always meant so much because I know that you know, people like myself and others that support the village, you know, as members of the board, um, sounding board for the management team can really see it allows them to do what they're doing. You know, you, can, you contrast that with an organization like the Bushnell, like as you said, is so beautiful, love performing arts, so happy that the world is opened up and that we're able to, to go to experiences like that. But even the Bushnell, as a component of their mission, they're doing outreach into the community and how can they bring and inspire um, individuals that maybe don't think the Bushnell is a place that they can be um, as to how it is accessible to them through their education programs and really just enlightening people on the arts. I think the arts have such an important place in any community. It just does so much to your spirit and to be able to assist in providing opportunities for an organization like that to have an out or reach out within the community. It's not just a building has just been fantastic. So I always encourage people to find some way to get involved. There's no shortage of organizations that need people. You know, I sit on a lot of the governance committees for some of these organizations and really trying to identify that next round of leaders that want to get involved. I mean, there's definitely opportunities and I just encourage people to find something that you're you're passionate about and seeing what you can do to, you know, help because these organizations do need assistance. And I, I also would note that you are a trustee for the Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame. And it strikes me that in your own professional journey, you've trod a path that has 
been populated mainly by white men, you know, in the C-suite. Even today, fewer than one in five Fortune 500 CFOs are women. So I'm wondering if you could speak to, you know, sort of the significance of an organization like the Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame in recognizing some of the journeys that women have taken professionally. And then I'd love to hear personally if there was a mentor or sponsor that helped shape your aspirations early on when there were significantly fewer women in very senior roles. Yeah, so starting with the Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame, again, another organization I've been involved with and has been in existence for, you know, over 25 years now. And really just telling the stories of women in Connecticut and the impact they've had. And if you ever have some free time and want to go to their website, you can go to the virtual hall because it's not there's not a physical building for the Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame. It really is all virtual. And the way it works is each year they typically will induct three women. Um, It has to be three women that have some tie to Connecticut. And usually there's a theme for, you know, a particular event, but part of the process is to tell their story. And so they will film a very, you know, elaborate session of just what the individual woman did, her experiences and so forth. And several years ago, the organization realized that we have this great now library of all of these stories of women in Connecticut that have had an impact. And then they go back. You know, they go back to the 1600s. Um, It really is amazing. And what they started to do was say, well, how can we take this on the road and inspire young women to see the potential they have? So one of the things that I've been super excited about that the hall has been doing now for several years is an outreach program into schools. And they set up what's referred to as sort of do-it-yourself kits for teachers that want to do a course on Prudence Crandall. If you don't know who Prudence Crandall is, you should look her up and what she did and other women and their stories. So it's been a great way how they've transitioned from, for anyone who's been involved in their events, from this big event they have every year, this is big induction ceremony, to saying now how do I use that and how do I inspire? They have a whole section on STEM. And so trying to get more young women to see that they have a potential in that field and what others have done, uh, voting rights and the importance of voting and what it means to be able to do that. All of those things they've been able to do. And it's just been great to see that outreach because I think everyone needs people to look up to and being able to look up to people that look like you, um, mm-hmm. I think has an impact. And, and I think will open people's eyes as to you know, what they can do and what they might be capable of and thinking, you know, maybe broader than they would individually, which gets into the second part of your question on, you know, mentors or sponsors or people who have helped shape my aspirations. Again, going back, I think, to the first question you asked me as to how I got into, you know, coming into corporate finance. As I said, I had no idea that corporate finance is where I was going to be. And I would say if I go back and think of myself as a college student and what I was doing, I really did not have a vision as to what my full potential could be. And I was really fortunate throughout my career to work with people who 
saw something in me, gave me opportunities, took risks on me um, to really make sure that I was living into my full potential. And I would probably be here, you know, for an hour if I had a list, all those, because I've just been very fortunate and that I've had so many. I've had so many people that I look back to and really felt that they helped push me and see what I could do. And it's it's men and women. I mean, I'm, I've been very, very fortunate in that I have worked with a lot of men who have been very much pushing for women to have more representation um, in some of these roles. And just, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of luck involved in life. Um, maybe people don't want to acknowledge that, but sometimes there is. And I've worked with just amazingly smart, forward-looking individuals that, you know, I would thank each and every one of them today for where I am. Beth, thank you again for a fantastic conversation. And thanks to everybody for joining us. Until the next time, I'm Paula Angelo. This has been The Lead, the Harford's executive podcast series. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you'd be notified on the latest episodes. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.